A lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Got a loaded show today. Lindsey Cool, the head coach of the KU women's golf team, joins us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star going to join us at 440. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks at 340. We got a bunch of KU audio to get to you between KU football audio, some KU basketball audio ahead of late night in the fog as well. So, Fun show on tap for today. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back, so tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. How about this, though? This is away from uh, the basketball side of things. Baylor takes on West Virginia tonight. It's in Morgantown. Baylor's only favored by three. If West Virginia wins that game, obviously Kansas went to Morgantown and won. It's going to make you feel good about the the game next week in Waco. Oh, yes, absolutely. And and listen, I don't think you or I really disagree with the fact that West Virginia is a, a good team. Yeah, they're not a bad team solid. at all. They're, Wouldn't they're surprise me solid. if they won six games. Exactly. They're a very solid team. So, yeah, that's not another possibility. And, again, Baylor went on the road and beat Iowa State, but I think now there's some questions about how good Iowa State is, certainly on the offensive side. And they had a pretty good game against Oklahoma State. Didn't get the win, though. So, you know, I think we think that Baylor is probably a top four team in the Big 12, but what if they're maybe a fifth, the fifth best team or the sixth best team in the Big 12? That could be possible. Well, DraftKings does have an early line out there for the Kansas-Baylor game. You want to take a guess? It's it's probably like Baylor minus 10 or something. Oh, you're so close. Nine and a half. Oh. Yeah, Baylor minus nine and a half for that game. If you... If West Virginia pulls the upset tonight, though, that's going to go down. I guess it also depends on what KU does against Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. But if you think that Baylor's going to lose tonight and Kansas is going to beat Oklahoma, you probably should take that because it'll be lower. That's so interesting because Kansas at West Virginia, KU was 14-point dogs. Mm-hmm. Baylor is favored by three, you said? Yeah, and that was before I think people really knew what Kansas was really going to be this year. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Well, you can bet on that yourself if you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code KLWN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued is free bets. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Deposit, parlay, and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash Basketball terms. We are halfway through the season for football. And that's sad. Yeah, that is kind of sad when you think about it that it's way. It's crazy how, from the sports fandom standpoint, like if your team is bad, the season <laughs> takes forever. And if your team is good, then it's like this this glimmer of mm-hmm. this such a short uh, short term, you know, 
it's such a weird cycle too because you're always thriving for get that next win, get that next win, and then it's and you're constantly like make the record better. But every time that happens, the season gets closer to finishing. Exactly. Yes. And like, that's not. Yeah. Fun. It's like you know. So you, for instance, with K football, the, the game's on Saturday, right? Most people probably wake up on Sunday and Monday and they're like, "Oh my God, I just want it to be Saturday again. I just want it to be Saturday <laughs> again." And then it is, but then it's you're getting closer to there mm-hmm. being no more of that. Yeah, that's no fun. Uh, so let's talk <laughs> some of the biggest surprises, some of the maybe biggest di- disappointments, things that we thought were going to happen and, and maybe didn't uh, so far in the first half of this season. Let's start with the surprises. What has been the maybe biggest surprise for you? I would say Daniel Hyshaw was a huge surprise. I think coming into the season, certainly from the outside perspective, I think the Daniel Hyshaw one's the most interesting to me because maybe internally – Inside the KU program, it this they wouldn't say this was a surprise, but certainly from the outside, the expectation coming into the season was, oh, Devin Neal, oh, Kai Thomas, oh, uh, Savion Morrison, right? Like Daniel Hyshaw was was almost an afterthought. I felt like in the preseason for KU, and for him to have emerged as quickly as he did as as really one of the lead backs for KU was was very surprising. I think from from the outside. Again, I think it, the reason I say Daniel Hyshaw is because I think. Maybe internally that was not a surprise, but certainly from the outside it was. And so uh, it's obviously even more sad that he that he is going to be out for what seems like the season with an injury. But but his start to the season was was a great surprise, I think, for from the outside and for KU fans. That's a good one. I uh, I mean it's it's not that the quarterbacks being good is a surprise. We thought they would be good. We thought they'd be a lot better than we last thought year. They'd be better, yeah. I don't think we necessarily knew they were going to be this good. No, nobody thought that Jalen Daniels was going to be <laughs> no. third in Heisman in the early Heisman no. season. And that Heisman. Jason Mean would have four passing touchdowns in one half after coming into the game. Yep. I, I think that would, would kind of go there. But honestly, if I have to just pick one, I think the receiver room collectively yes. sticks out to me. Yes. I mean, I've, I've highlighted this, I think, literally every week. I've said that preseason – the wide receiver room was, I think, widely viewed as probably the weakest position, certainly on the offense and maybe on the whole team. There was a lot of question marks about the wide receiver room, and a lot of people from the outside viewed them as, as questionable. And they have answered the call every single time they've been asked to so far this season. And again, it's not like they've been, it's not like they've been, you know, a top five receiving core in the country. But I think the level that they've played at compared to what maybe the concern was about what they could be. Yes, I agree with that. Very surprising. Yeah. I mean, literally, I, I think I mentioned this, I don't know, earlier this week or something. If you go look at Pro Football Focus, they are number two in receiving grade this year. <laughs> Only to Ohio State, who has a billion first-round picks yeah. at receiver. Like Luke Graham, Lawrence Arnold, like all those guys have stepped up. Quentin Skinner has maybe been the biggest surprise of the receivers. You're talking yeah. about a former walk-on who's come in. He looked like he had a great connection with Jason Bean. Yeah, that and, dude's been killing it. And if there wasn't already this sense of nervousness about the wide receiver room preseason, it was kind of expedited by some of the outside circumstances that occurred with Trevor Wilson and Tanaka Scott that made people, I think, even more concerned about it. And you're right, because of that, Quentin Skinner stepped up and has turned into maybe the best deep threat on the team for KU so far this season. Okay, what about the flip side to this? What's been the biggest disappointment or, or maybe the thing that uh, maybe you felt like you've been most wrong about this team with? I would say I think these two kind of go together as maybe under one tree. The fumbling and penalties, so kind of discipline, I guess you would say, that KU has struggled with so far this season because that was somewhere, certainly with the penalties, that they were excellent in last season. And when you have a guy like Lance Leipold who preaches about 
discipline and preaches fundamentals and all those things. These are things that you expect KU to, to perform well at. And the fact that they have struggled with fumbling and the penalty situation, Lance, Lance mentioned it in his press conference this week, they've had 15 fourth-quarter penalties this season. They had 14 fourth-quarter penalties the entire season last year. So that's been pretty disappointing, I, I think, for KU just because of – I think it's been disappointing, obviously, A, because you never want to have penalties like that and fumbling. But B, to me, it's more disappointing because when you think of Lance Leipold, you think of these things being fundamental and the first things that are addressed for KU. So I'm sure that this week probably, even more than previous weeks, Lance Leipold is probably giving that message to to the team and saying, hey, you know, we, we, got, we got to avoid these mistakes like this, especially late in games and the turnovers obviously as well. In order, if, if we want to continue to be successful. For me, I'll, I'll go with the – and I don't even know if this is just maybe a, a biggest surprise to me or disappointment or what, but if you would have told me especially that KU is 5-1 and one right now, I would have thought that all these transfers you brought in, and it's not that it's yeah. everyone. Like Craig Young is playing a huge role for this team, and he's been awesome so far, and Lonnie Phelps has been great, and you know there's other transfers that are really contributing at a high level. But – I would have thought that to get to this point, those transfers would be playing like the biggest role. And that would have been a big reason why they were just better because you brought in just all these talented players. A lot of it has just been done by guys, internal improvement who were already here in the past. And I think kind of building off that, the idea that some of these transfers aren't playing nearly as much as I would have thought, right? Like Kai Thomas is still trying to establish himself in the backfield. He got handful of carries last week, but it came after the Daniel Highshaw injury, and he's still trying to kind of get going. Savion Morrison is averaging like 11 yards a carry, but not getting a, a ton of run back there. Eric Gilliard and Lorenzo McCaskill, they're playing each game, but they're playing closer to, you know, 15, 20 snaps a game as opposed to the starters who may be in the, you know, high 30s, 40, 50 range in a game. Uh, maybe Kalen Gervin not being one of your two starting, like, it hasn't been all the, the the transfers. Yeah, and and I think you kind of phrased it pretty well in the sense of that's not necessarily a disappointment as much of it as much of it is maybe just like you said, given the success of Kansas, I think most people preseason would have expected it to be because of the transfers. So the fact that they aren't making that impact is is in some ways almost more of a positive and speaks to the development internally of the program to see some of these guys that have been here show up in such a big way this season. Okay, so second half predictions now. How, how much of what you expect in the second half rides on this very first second half game with Oklahoma? For me, not that much, actually. I don't think it's crazy to say, and you may agree with this, that Oklahoma may be their most winnable game the rest of the season, considering where Oklahoma is at and what they're dealing with and the, the, the slippery slope that they've been on with some tough losses. And considering when you look at the rest of the games KU has left, we we expect Baylor to be a tough game just because they're a tough a tough team and it's on the road and KU historically has not played well against Baylor. Oklahoma State is a top eight team in the country, so you figure that's going to be a tough game. Texas with Quinn Ewers back looks like they're going to be a, a serious problem. And then Texas Tech, who you and I have mentioned this, is a team that on any given week could beat anybody in the, in the conference or they could lose to anybody in the conference. So... It's almost a coin flip at that point, that game against Texas Tech. And then you have K-State, who stumbled early in the season against Tulane and looked like they were maybe going to struggle. Then they had that big win against Oklahoma. And now they look like they're back on track to being a, an 8 or 9 win team. So, And obviously, given the context of that game with the Sunflower Shutdown and everything, it's going to be tough. 
So yes, from that standpoint, you might look at this. You might look at these last six games and say, okay, Oklahoma is maybe the the, the best chance for KU to win. Which, as ludicrous as it sounds, it may be true at this point. But I'm not. Depending on the outcome of this game against Oklahoma, I'm not going to let that set the tone for how I feel about the rest of the season. You know, if 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 Kansas goes in and and Oklahoma flips the switch and beats them by 20 or 25 or whatever, it's going to be discouraging, obviously. But I don't. I'm not going to be waving the white flag on the season and saying, "Okay, here we go, five and seven, whatever." Right. So, I, you know, on one hand, yes, I do think it's it's a, a very important game. But on the other hand, I, I don't think it's. I'm not going to let it define how I view the team the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I do think if you lose by a sizable amount, you will start to look at the final five games and say, "Okay, those are going to be really tough." I don't really expect that to happen on Saturday, though. Like, I could no. see Oklahoma winning the game, but I, I don't think it's going to be like a blowout or something like that. And if no. you, even if you do lose close, if you lose by 7 or 10 or something, you're still going to go into the Baylor game the next week and be like, eh, it's a winnable game. Again, you might yes. not be favored, but it's a winnable game. So uh, there's there's a bit resting on this one, and, and like you pointed out, yeah, this could be their best chance at a win. I will say every game that they don't get their sixth win – it piles the, on. The pressure is going to increase exponentially, which is is concerning, right? Like like if KU goes in and wins against Oklahoma and they're six and one, I, I think once they get that sixth win, however many games they have left in the season. So if it's against Oklahoma, five games or whatever, however many games they have left in the season, I think they'll be able to play those games a lot more free. Yeah, you, you know what I'm saying. Once they get that, once they get that sixth win, because I mean. Listen, as a player, I'm sure that's got to be on your radar. Like, hey, we need one win, and then we're going to lock ourselves into a bowl. We need one win, right? And every game you don't get that, it's kind of adds more to it, given the context of you know what K football has been, right? So if they get that early on, like against Oklahoma or even against the Baylor, I think that will then allow them this team to really open up and and play with without this kind of sword over their head of potentially missing a bowl, right? Yeah. All right. We got to take a time out with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We've got some Brian Borland audio to share with you next. Brian Haney will join us a little bit after that. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney joins us now on the show. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. And I, I feel like the transfer portal has made stories like Jason Bean even more special. We saw, I think maybe is something a little bit similar with Jalen Hurts and uh, Tua Tungavailoa back at Alabama when he decided to stick around for another year and really helped them eventually win the SEC title. Uh, Brian, what can you say about Bean? What can you say about the story and, and him kind of sticking around here and then seeing the fruits of his labor by playing so well against TCU and now having an opportunity this Saturday against Oklahoma? Yeah, it really is a great story, and uh, so exciting to see it pay dividends for Kansas in the fashion that it did the other day. Albeit in defeat, we saw him put forth what really is is optimal Jason Bean. I mean, you can't ask him to do much more than 262 and four touchdowns in one half. We didn't see him really turn it loose on the ground as much as we have in previous games, say against Coastal Carolina a year ago and that sort of thing. And I'm not sure we'll see him run a ton 
based on the fact that you want to keep him healthy at this point, not knowing what the QB situation will look like into the month of November and that kind of thing. And with Ethan Basco as the backup, a true freshman behind him, they'll want to keep him healthy. But his downfield throwing with the two touchdowns to Quentin Skinner of 30 and 40 yards respectively, just under that, uh, those just dazzled me, thinking, okay, this was a guy that we were told you know, was a pretty decent downfield passer when he first got here, but really it was all about speed. And those that have followed this program for decades, like David Lawrence will tell you, Jason Bean is the fastest Kansas quarterback since Nolan Cromwell. So to see him put with the arm last week and to get this offense jump-started after really being stuck in neutral ever since the late second quarter versus Iowa State was certainly quite a sight to see and, and great to see the success and the opportunity for Jason, who could have gone elsewhere. It's what everybody else seems to do now in this transfer portal day and age where if you lose the quarterback battle, then surely there's greener pastures elsewhere where you could start and play immediately and so many times guys leave. But I think for him, not only enjoying his teammates and the culture here, but the fact that this is – Toward the end of his career, this is his senior year. He's already been at North Texas. The prospects of going to a third school at this stage probably weren't that appealing. And I think he realized that Andy Kotelnicki was going to find a way to keep him involved somehow. And we saw that in the month of September with a variety of trick plays in which either he was a decoy or uh, had the ball in his hands with the chance to throw it. He just didn't know when his next opportunity to start might come and if it would ever come again. But he prepared himself you know, impressively well throughout the offseason and preseason. Coach Leipold on multiple occasions talked about how you know, there wasn't a huge gap between Daniels and Bean in terms of how they were competing day in and day out. Now, some would have said in September there must have been a monumental gap because Bean had you know, watched Jalen go on to be a Heisman Trophy candidate while Bean was barely getting on the field. But Really, if you look at some of those August practices, Jason Bean was showing us a lot of potential, and Lance Leipold was saying all the right things to keep him feeling valued because they didn't want to see him leave, knowing they would need him, knowing that QB2s are at a premium now in this transfer portal era. Just look at Oklahoma and all they had to do with wildcat formations and all kinds of players running around back there. In, in the week and a half that they were without Dylan Gabriel. So it, it really is a great success story of not only the kid sticking it out and, and betting on himself to eventually get a chance, but the head coach in saying the right things and the OC in, in scheming some place to keep the kid invested and involved because now it's working out for everybody. We just really have to make sure we keep him upright and healthy because should he go down, then, then you're turning it over to an 18-year-old true freshman. And though they love Ethan Vasco and, and what he might bring to this team, eventually, uh, you know, this is a club that's one win away from bowl eligibility, and they've got it rocking and rolling in a lot of phases. And so you'd love to keep a more veteran presence behind center if you could at all help it. Well, KU takes on Oklahoma on Saturday. Brian will be on the call along with David Lawrence, Brandon McAnderson on the Jayhawk Radio Network. You can hear it 9.30 pregame here, kickoff at 11 o'clock. What sticks out to you the most about this matchup with OU and, and do you view to be the biggest key uh, for KU to have a successful Saturday? Well, I think the Sooners are going to be much, much better with Gabriel back. I and mean, this is a guy who was the number 15 dual-threat quarterback in the country coming out of high school, did all kinds of great things in Central Florida before transferring. Initially, he was going to go to UCLA, 
settled on Oklahoma. But if you go back and watch the ESPN Plus reality show that they did on UCF last season, before he broke his clavicle early in the year, I mean, they were talking Heisman watch list for this young man with the Knights program down there in Orlando. And so he's a big-time player. Just ask Eric Gilliard, our linebacker from UCF, who told me the other day that in terms of downfield passers, Gabriel's the best he's ever played around and, and is a big, big-time guy that can make plays rolling out the pocket, throwing deep downfield. And so he's going to bring so much more to this Oklahoma offense that they've not had for the last nearly seven quarters since he went out uh, you know, with the head injury. So what you saw of them a week ago getting shut out 49 to nothing, okay, don't hinge any hope on that happening. And that's not to say the Kansas defense can't have a good game, but that was a much different-looking team without their star quarterback. They still have offensive talent around him with Marvin Mims at receiver and Gray at running back. This is still Oklahoma, guys. The, the thing is, the defense has been really vulnerable, and Venables has been pulling strings, pushing buttons, doing whatever, whatever he can to shake it up and get them you know, back to playing OU caliber defense. And in the process, we've seen them get gashed big time, be a little bit overwhelmed, not just by talent, but also by scheme. And 55 allowed to TCU, 49 allowed to Texas. Kansas is going to be able to go in there and get some points. The question is, how will the Kansas defense fare against Gabriel and a much better, much more representative of who they are, Oklahoma offense? I think this is going to be a shootout in the 30s, similar to the TCU game a week ago. And, and I loved everything Jason gave from us last week. But one thing that if, if you watch him closely and you look at his track record, he's usually good for, for one or two throws a half that makes you scratch your head and think, oh, man, what was he doing there? You know, and we had the deep in our own territory interception last week. We had the airmail pass to Devin Neal when he had all kinds of green turf in front of him. If he can avoid the self-inflicted wounds with a bad overthrow that gets picked off or, or a missed play because he was just a little bit off the money, clearly the, the high-ceiling stuff is all there for Jason Bean, and I think this OU defense is right for him to, to go out there and, and, and really make some hay. But uh, you've got to avoid some of those self-inflicted wounds, and Kansas as a team has to. I mean, Lance Leipold said it the other day. They've been penalized in the fourth quarter through six games more than they were all of last season in the fourth quarter. And some of those kickoff issues they had last week have to get cleaned up as well. But uh, I do think the Jayhawks have a great chance to go down and compete. They just have to stay away from the self-inflicted mistakes. Bean, in particular, has to be careful not to turn it over because for all the times he can dazzle you with his legs, and last week with these, these deep balls that Quentin Skinner was hauling in, one or two of those misfires could get you beat against a team like OU that is the wounded animal, backed into a corner, desperately trying to scratch and claw and fight its way out of this three-game losing skid. And so that's, that's where Kansas really needs to play a clean game, as much as mistake-free as possible against an OU team that defensively hasn't done much. You sure as heck don't want to fuel their fire by setting them up with a, an easy overthrow that they could take back to the house and get some confidence. Well, you and David got to be on the call for the first win in Austin since World War II. We'll see if you guys can be in the, the first win down in Norman for the first time since I think it's 1996, which I'm sure David has uh, fun memories of. Uh, meanwhile, this week, also just kind of, I shouldn't say sliding under the radar because it's still like a, a very big deal and there's lots of promotions and everybody knows it's going on. It's just 
with all that has been devoted to KU football, it, it's a little different than, than maybe in past years. Late Night in the Fog is going on on Friday night as well. I, I did want to mention, before I did ask like a, I guess, specific basketball-related question, you have a new book, Banner Year, that's dropping on November 1st. What can you tell us about the book and, and how to get your hands on it? Oh, well, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, this is a, a passion project, labor of love over the summer months that, that we worked tirelessly on to put a product out there that's um, unlike some of the other books that were kind of rushed into publication and some regurgitated content from in the season. This was all fresh stuff, and it covers every single game in a coffee table fashion, uh, 160 pages of, of great photos from our Kansas Athletic photo staff, a rhythmic poetic narration. that We basically took my end-of-season poem recap that we did at the men's basketball banquet and we tripled it in length added a lot and then we went in and we interviewed every player and we talked to them about what it was like to be a part of this special run what their favorite moments and memories were beyond simply that monday night in april and then what it meant to add to the legacy and tradition at kansas by hanging that sixth banner so every player every staff member has their own page uh bill self wrote the forward david mccormick wrote our afterward he did a really good job with it, uh, writing it while overseas, and, and really poured a lot of time and effort and energy into it. I was impressed. But I think you'll love it, because compared to the other books that just recap the postseason or a few big games the regular season, we literally take you through every game, and you could flip through it in reading the poetic narration of each game and, and cover the whole thing in 15 minutes, or you could do a deep dive and read this book in, in two hours because we put interesting nuggets and stats and factoids, quotes and everything inside every single picture and every single page to bring the storyline of each and every game to life even more without having to rehash through 36 game articles, if you know what I'm saying. So I think as, as season recap books go, it's easily digestible. It's got fresh content that's unique to the players and, and some amazing pictures that our staff captured. So we're really proud of it. There's only 10,000 copies in existence, so you want to lock yours down today. KUBannerYear.com. KUBannerYear.com. Banner Year was the name of the book. That was the final call when, uh, you know, when I belted out the final few seconds down there in New Orleans. And that was because, as my intro reads in, in the four pages I got to kind of set it up, that we're spoiled at Kansas. I mean, I realized we were picked today second in the preseason Big 12 poll, and that felt like sacrilege, right? But, <laughs> but we win it darn near every year. Self got 16 of them, okay? And, and uh, 16 titles in, in two decades, as it goes for his 17th year and his 20th year, he's been unbelievable. Uh, so every year is, is a great year at Kansas. Most years were a one or a two seed. Every year is a, a really good year. But only six times has it been a banner year. Uh, yes, we've got the final four banners that hang, but unlike other schools that hang banners just for winning league titles, we put nine league titles per banner, nine years per banner at Kansas because we've got the most conference titles ever. The real banners, the, the, the big ones that, that hang there in, in the north end zone, that's, that's the you know, elite piece of real estate in, in the fog to go up, and, and we'll get to see a sixth unfurled on Friday night. That's what made last year a banner year, and that was the inspiration behind the title of our book. Well, as far as late night in the fog goes in the action Friday night, I mean, you're not going to have uh, overwhelming takeaways from a scrimmage. that It, it always cracks me up when uh, you guys get, like in years past, if you've had Bill Self like on along with you to talk 
uh, and kind of interview him during the, the broadcast. And you can always tell how, uh, I don't know, uncomfortable he gets sometimes when, you know, you see maybe bad shot selection or something like that. And he's like, are you kidding me with some of that stuff? And, and I love that. that. That's one of my favorite things. Um, but uh, as far as just players, you're excited to see whether it's their first time really rocking a KU uniform in front of Allen Fieldhouse or somebody who's a transfer or, you know, improvement for a player. Is there anyone that you're, you're most interested in seeing uh, in terms of the, the scrimmage goes on Friday night? Well, first off, your your opening comment was spot on. I, I love doing those <laughs> interviews with Coach. And if he ever wanted to be, he'd be a great analyst, so long as he wasn't analyzing his own team. Because <laughs> you're right, he'll be making this really eloquent point about something coming up in the season, and then there'll be a, a bad pass turnover, and he'll be like, oh, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> that was soft. You know, like right in the middle of whatever mm. sentence he was saying about, oh, yeah, you know. Kevin McCullough is going to be a great addition to our defense. What was that? Oh, my gosh. Come on, DeJuan. Don't make that play. You know, it's hilarious because it's his stream of consciousness as he's watching it as a coach versus, you know, being the the color analyst or or the interviewee or whatever. And so it always makes for good TV. This year, by the way, you can watch our coverage on the Kansas Athletics app. They elected to do it uh, on the app only because they wanted to attract more people to come out and fill those seats. Too many folks are staying home to watch it on TV because Greg Gurley's so handsome. But uh, (laughs) we're going to do it on the app instead. and You you can check out the play-by-play on the app. But, hey, I want to see the rookies just like you guys. I want to see MJ Rice. I want to see Grady Dick, obviously. Uh, We want to see all these McDonald's All-American caliber players. I think Kevin McCuller, I'm excited for the big picture long haul with, but I don't think necessarily his game is going to be what dazzles you in a 15-minute scrimmage. I think what dazzles you in in that setting would be more of the the high-flying newbies and and how many shots they're getting up and, and rocking the rim and all that. So that's what I'm most intrigued to see. But, you know, we've heard nothing but great things uh, out of the two Kansas freshmen big. So so to see them maybe go toe-to-toe, we'll see how the teams are divvied up and who's guarding who. But I'm excited to see what those guys bring. And then, you know, seeing how much the, the you know previous players have improved and built upon their frames and their games as well. We all expect Jalen Wilson to have an All-American type season. But how about the rest of the guys and the strides they've made from last year to now? We'll be certainly keeping a watchful eye on that as well. Well, as far as name of the week for this week, I'll, I'll give you the option. You, you have the football side, and I'm sure that's what you've prepared for here, but I'll even let you choose uh, from the basketball. I mean, there's there's some good ones for KU. Wilder Evers, one of the fr- the freshman walk-ons. That, that's a great name. So where would you like to go for name of the week this week? You know what? It's funny. Uh, I, I was going to go football. I did prepare that, and I, but I didn't have a great one because Oklahoma just doesn't have that many, like, catchy names but the one that it reminded me of one of my favorite signs from game day on saturday which by the way i love it that you guys were so creatively authoring up you know sign names and, and our fan base did a tremendous job I mean, mm-hmm. beware of the booth the, the game winner i thought that was terrific but uh, there was a sign in honor of mark mangino about keep sawing wood and I loved that because obviously the last time we were relevant nationally in football, he was the orchestrator. And keep sawing wood makes me think of wood chucks, and sawing wood and, and wood chucks makes me think of Gavin Sawchuck. Gavin Sawchuck. Oh, that's great. Seldom used running back. 
He's not going to play as often as Eric Gray will. If Eric Gray seeds carries to Sawchuck, then something went wrong. But Gavin Sawchuck, in honor of sawing wood, woodchucks and all that, we're going to go with him as our Oklahoma opponent name of the week. But I I learned something today in my preparation for the women's basketball scrimmage. Um, You know, Zakiah Franklin's a a big-time player, senior guard on this team. Their teammates always call her KB. And I, I, when doing my prep, was asking, how's her nickname KB when her name's Zakaya or Kaya, but one of her early coaches in life called her Kaya Gets Buckets or <laughs> Kaya Buckets or KB. And so KB came out of Kaya Gets Buckets, and I just love the origin of the nickname, and it made me think of, of Gus Johnson, the, the former CBS announcer who's now on Fox, and one time he famously said, because he always got the big game calls, and he always had these screaming, ha-ha, you know, type calls, <laughs> and one time at the, at the end of one of his especially boisterous calls, he goes, I get buckets. <laughs> it was so great to hear a play-by-play guy say, I get Bucket. So, so KB Franklin, you'll see her in the women's scrimmage tomorrow night. It comes from Kaya Gets Buckets. There you go. Uh, that's a great nugget and a great one for the name. Uh, Brian, appreciate the time as always. Before we let you go, word from Nate Miller. That's right. Bill Self, Coach Brandon, Coach Leipold, they've all got their game plans for the season ahead. You need a game plan for your financial future, so make sure you log on today to MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com. You can set up a free consultation. They'd be happy to look over your portfolio or build one with you for the first time to give you the most profitable financial future and most uh, secure financial future as well. So check them out today, MillerRetirementGroup.com. Always a pleasure, guys. All right, he's Brian Haney. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. That was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thank you to Brian for coming on the show. That is one hour down, two to go. We uh, will get to an update on our college football in-season betting, and then we will... uh, have some KU basketball Bill Self audio to share with you. Jesse Newell's going to join us in the 4 o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. If you're looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering, go to Venue 1235, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. We've got some Bill Self audio that we're going to get for you here in about 20 minutes from right now. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star is going to join us at 440 to talk a little Chiefs ahead of their big game with the Buffalo Bills. Um, Before the season started, though, in college football, we did our college football season betting preview. And we picked winners in all the Power 5 conferences. We did the AAC as well, and then you did one other group of five, Heisman winner, playoff picks, national champions as well. We're going to go back through that, and we're going to have an opportunity to reflect on our our picks and see if we want to add anything. You can only add a max of one per uh, conference or, or topic, okay. I guess, would be the way of putting it. So, we'll well, s- yeah, go ahead. All of my picks are terrible, so this is going to be a disaster. I don't think all of them are terrible. I've actually gone through. I, I'm not. As, I'm not as dumb as I thought I was. There are a couple on here where I'm like, "Uh oh, sorry about that." For you or for me? 
for you. I mean, there's some for me too, but like, yeah, we'll just go through. <laughs> All right. So ACC, before the season started, I wasn't totally in on Clemson and their offense, so I went a little out of the out of the I don't know mainstream way of looking at it. I went Pittsburgh at plus eight fifty. You went NC State at plus six fifty. Do you want to hedge your bet with anyone? Because right now Clemson is by far the favorite minus three sixty. The good news is, like everyone else has really high odds yeah. that and you'd want so to take them. NC State is down to plus twenty two hundred. Double down. So are we saying so if I'm if I don't change, I'm basically I'm sticking with NC State for the rest of the season, or I can change. Is that what you're saying? You're not changing. You're just adding another bet. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I'm just gonna. I'm not. I'm not gonna change. I'm not gonna add anything on here. I'm just gonna stick with NC State. I'm not either because it's hard for me seeing Clemson not winning the conference with the way they've looked. Yeah, lately. minus minus three sixty. And that's the thing. I, I don't want no value there. Yeah, North Carolina's plus six fifty. The offense has been I saw pretty that. good. Yeah, yeah, that was an interesting one. The defense is just so bad, though. Yeah, so bad. Yeah. Okay, so we're not touching that AAC. I think we did good here. Yeah. We have the two teams who are the the favorites right now. So I took yep. UCF because I like their odds a little more. They were two twenty, or I'm sorry, they were three hundred when I got them. They're now down to two twenty, so I'm not going to double down at a worse odd. You have Cincinnati. You got them at plus two ten. They're, they're now down to one ten. Yeah. So I doubt you'd want to. Yeah, yeah. Get worse. I think I'll just stick here, stick with that. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't want to go to like Tulane or Houston at six to one or nine yeah. to one or something like that. So we're good there. Big Twelve. You're in better shape than I am. I had Oklahoma at plus one ninety. Yikes. They are plus they have 20,000. Uh, yeah, so only Iowa State 201. Only Iowa State has lower odds than Oklahoma. Now Texas Tech and West Virginia have the same mm-hmm. odds, but you have Baylor who have Baylor they were, plus they were plus 650 now they're plus 700. So yeah, it's not that not, different. Not bad, yeah. I I would maybe sprinkle on Kansas here. Well, I don't know. With with the uncertainty around the quarterback position maybe not, but I think I might just hold here. See, there's the interesting ones to me. I am going to add a bet here. Okay. You could sprinkle on Kansas, 30 to 1. I think Oklahoma State at 3 to 1, TCU at 3 to 1 are interesting. Texas at plus 270 is where I'm going to go. They are now the favorite. I think that's indicative of. Hmm. I guess just a lot of They faith believe in, in Texas. A lot, a lot of faith in Quinn Ewers. Yes. And they have looked a lot better when Quinn Ewers is in there. They, yes. they lost the Texas Tech game without him. And even then. Texas Tech is that a solid game, team on the took, road. That game took so many weird things yeah. happening also at the end of the game. Now, I don't think Texas is going to like win out. I still think they'll lose another game. But if they only lose one other game and they're 7-2 and two in Big 12 play, they're, they're going to be playing top. for the... Yeah, they're going to the title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to go Texas at plus 270. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold. I, I was considering... I'll stick with Baylor. I'm, I'm, like I said, I was considering Kansas, but I think the uncertainty around the quarterback position is going gonna, is gonna to make me just go ahead and... Save that money for a rainy day instead. Okay, in the Big Ten, you took a shot at it with Michigan State. Terrible, terrible decision. You can now get Michigan State at a thousand to one. <laughs> would you like to double down on them from no. your twenty-eight to one? No, I would not. I might. Uh, I. I am. I think I should go ahead and add one though here, since obviously Michigan State's not going to win. Uh huh. I'm going to add Penn State. I'm. I'm going to sprinkle on Penn State. Penn State at at plus twelve hundred. I like that. So I got Ohio State minus 215 to start. They're minus 320 now. I'm not going to double down there. Honestly, I am a little bit tempted by that. That Penn State number is very high. If yeah, they beat the Michigan. Issue, 
the, the, again, the issue with Penn State here is, and I guess it's really the issue with Michigan and Ohio State too, is like all those teams are in the same division. So if Penn State loses to Michigan this weekend, A, they absolutely have to beat Ohio State at that point. And B, they need help also. They need Ohio State to beat Michigan or they need other factors to happen, right? So that's what concerns me the most about, about Penn State is I think between Penn State, Michigan, and, and Ohio State, Penn State is, is obviously the team. That's why they have the lowest odds. The team that I think is regarded as the third best out of those three. And if they lose one, if they lose to Michigan, then they're going to have some serious problems. Mm-hmm. But I'll still pick them. So I'm I, I'm actually tempted to take Michigan here at six to one, but I kind of think Penn State's going to beat them this weekend. In that would be good for my value. Penn State bet. So this would be the time to get on Penn State. I'm wondering if I should like the best approach there would be wait till after the Penn State game. Michigan might be down to ten to one. Take them if Michigan wins out and they beat Ohio State. Maybe Penn State gets upset by someone else, loses to Ohio State. Michigan wins the conference. I think that could happen. So I okay. I won't do anything yet though. I'll leave it be. Okay. Pac-12. I had USC plus 225. You had Oregon plus 280. And both of those have gone up in odds. Oregon's now actually the favorite, plus 160. That's interesting. Yeah, we talked about Oregon. You know, obviously that that 45-point loss or whatever, 46-point loss to, to Georgia hangs over them. But, yeah, I don't see any reason why they they shouldn't be the favorite, and they are, to, to win the conference. Are you tempted by UCLA at all, though, 3-1? to one? Maybe. Not enough to bet on them, I don't think. But UCLA, they they have Oregon next week, actually, I think. Right? We talked about this. Yeah. Yeah, they have Oregon next week. And they have to play USC. So, again, I think with UCLA, you run into the issue of UCLA might not even make the Pac-12 title game if they lose to USC and Oregon. So then you really can't win, right? Yeah. So Washington is on a skid. They've lost two straight, including being upset by Arizona State. Here's the rest of their schedule, though. Arizona, yeah. at Cal, Oregon State. They do have at Oregon versus Colorado and Washington State. If you remember, Derek, when they when that Washington was undefeated, we talked about how, oh, they have a very soft schedule. Well, then they lost two games in a row. They did. Would you be tempted by that at 60-1, to 1, though, that they could win out? But even if they went out, I don't know that they're making the I think the they would game. at 7-2. Really? Conference play? I guess you're right. With You've got Utah. Utah only has one loss in conference. Yeah. You got UCLA, you got USC, you've got Oregon. You're telling me all those teams are going to lose two games. Okay, what about Utah? Is there value there at um, six fifty plus, plus six fifty? I don't know that there's enough because Utah is maybe at best the third best team in the conference right now. The UCLA loss hurts a lot, and they lost to UCLA, so yeah. they might be the fourth best team in the conference. But they have a bye week. This no, they don't have a bye week. They play USC this week, so if they oh. beat USC, they're right back in it. Yes. And then at Washington State, Arizona, Stanford, at Oregon, and at Colorado to finish. That's a pretty tough stretch for them, honestly. Actually. Uh, I'm not going to touch anything. Yeah, I'm going to leave my I'm USC gonna, bet. I'm just going to ride with Oregon. Okay, on to the SEC. I had Alabama minus 145. You took a shot on Texas A&M plus 1,800. I did. Doesn't look like it's going to work really at all. This is interesting. I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at Tennessee here. Plus eight fifty. What do you think of that? I don't mind it. Looks, looks pretty good. But you're putting a lot on a team for Tennessee to win the conference. They would have to beat, have Georgia, to beat Georgia and Alabama. Yes, and then well, they'd have to beat. They would have to beat one of them in the regular season, and then yeah. they'd have to beat one of them again. Well, they'd have to beat Georgia in the regular season for sure, because oh, then they lose true. the tiebreaker. That's true. Well, and then, that's yeah. not true. If they well, they'd have to beat Alabama in the SEC title. 
And they might have to be well, the regular season Alabama show. twice. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, now you kind of talked me out of it. <laughs> okay. Ole Miss is sitting there at plus 2,500. Yeah. They haven't lost a game yet. Yeah, I don't know. I might. Is I mean, is Ole Miss really going to win the conference? No. No. I'm just going to double down on Alabama. I had them at minus 145. They're plus 105 now. I'm just going to get a better line on it. Okay. Double down. I don't mind that. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna hold. Okay. Is there anything you want to do for? We just have the other group of five winner besides the AC. I took Toledo to win the MAC at plus three twenty. Uh, their odds have actually gone down to plus one hundred five, so I feel good about that. You have UTSA to win the conference USA. Yep, their odds. They're the favorite also. there, so that was good for um, both of us. I'm feeling good about that one. Anything yep. you want to add? Uh, Boise State at plus one sixty for the Mountain West. Yeah. I don't even. Oh, here we go. Is San Jose State good? Why are they? Why? Why do they have the same odds? I honestly have not seen a single thing San Jose State has <laughs> what, done this year. What in the I world? I could not tell you. But hey, <laughs> I guess they are tied with Boise. What? When did that happen? Uh, I'm not betting San Jose State. No, I'm good. I'm just okay. Hold. I'll pass as well. Uh, Heisman pick. I had Dylan Gabriel at thirty to one. That's yeah. not happening. Yeah. Tyler Van Dyke thirty-five to one. Also not happening. He even got benched. Yeah. Turns, out, turns out he sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Your Heisman picks actually are, like, I don't think either one's going to win, but they're actually kind of good, like, I don't know, dark horses. Like, B. John Robinson at 25-1. to 1. Texas could, yeah. could reel off, you know, five in the next six or something, and yeah. B. John could work his way to New York. Cameron Ward, that was a really good one at 100-1 to 1 because they kind of had an upstart start, and they still have some big games coming. I can't, where, I don't, where's Cameron Ward on the current list? I can't find him. Because I mm. see, B, so B. John's at plus 6,000 now. But, oh, here we go. He's down here. Ward, 30, 000, plus 30,000. Yeah, so it's gone up at 300 to 1, but I, I still don't think that was a bad idea. They beat Wisconsin. No. They still play some yeah. solid teams. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it it kind of seems like with the injury to Bryce Young, this is it's maybe C.J. Stroud's Heisman to lose at this point, right? That's what the odds would reflect. He's minus 130. Everyone else is 11 to 1 or, or higher. I mean... If you're going to bet on Hen and Hooker, you're betting on what we just discussed. You're betting on Tennessee basically to win against Bama and mm. Georgia or something like that, which I don't know how likely that is. Caleb Williams is interesting because the 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 plus for Caleb Williams is that he probably has the easiest schedule in terms of putting up big numbers and maybe USC goes 11 and 1 and they but they don't maybe they don't make the playoff or something, but because of his numbers and everything, he might he could still win it, you know what I mean? Bryce Young's hurt. Blake Corum is a running. I mean, is a no. Michigan running back going to win it? I so, think the answer to me is is it's either C.J. Stroud or Caleb Williams. But I love the odds way more in Caleb Williams. Yes, absolutely. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do that at twelve to one. And I will join you. Why not? Okay, I'll add it. on Caleb Williams. Uh, playoff picks. I had Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia, and the odds weren't really great on any of them. Now they're even worse. So not going to double down there. The fourth one, though, I took a shot on Miami at 12-1. to 1. I want a different team. <laughs> I, I didn't pick TCU to win the Big 12, but this is kind of like hedging for me. Okay. TCU's 9-1 to 1 to make the playoff, plus they don't have the non-con loss like Texas did. Um, I thought about Oklahoma State at 9-1. to 1. I thought about UCLA at like 10 or 11-1. to 1. I'm going to go TCU at 9-1. to 1. If they win this week against Oklahoma State, I think it could be around 6 or 7-1. to 1, So 
Uh, I like the Horned Frogs there. You had Alabama, A&M, Ohio State, Georgia. So do you want to yeah. replace your A&M one? A&M's not looking, yeah, A&M's not looking good. I'm looking at the – you got Oregon at plus 1,000. That's interesting, I think. Uh, I mean, Texas at plus 1,600. They're, they're the, two losses. They're the though. betting favorites to. Oh, they already have two losses. Yeah, yeah. They're the betting favorites to win the Big Twelve, I guess. Clemson is at plus one hundred and five, which feels a lot better value wise. Yeah, that's I actually think, not bad. I think I'm going to go with Oregon. Well, okay. no, I changed my mind. Hang on. <laughs> uh, man, I don't know. All right, how about? Because now then I then. I, I said Oregon, but then I went back to, well, would they put a team that lost by 46 to another team in the playoff already in the playoff again? So, Texas has two losses. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll go Clemson. Okay. I'll go Clemson. Clemson at plus 105. Last one, national title winner. You got Ohio State at plus 300. They are now the favorites to win it all, plus 180. So, I doubt you want to double down on that. I got yeah, Bama yeah. at plus 175. They're plus 240. I could double down. I don't want to double down. I'm just going to stick with the original bet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That is our updates. Uh, we might update that again coming up later. Coming up next, we got some KU basketball talk, Bill Self Audio, and uh, a recruiting decision tonight. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com, here to help us preview a pretty big game for the Chiefs over the weekend, uh, taking on the Buffalo Bills. And, and Jesse, uh, one of the last couple times we talked to you, we, we asked you what you thought would happen for the season for the Chiefs. I think you picked them at, at 10-7. and 7. I could be wrong with that, but somewhere around there. Uh, with the 4-1 and one start, for the Chiefs, would you change that up in, in what your expectations would be for this team now that we have seen them through almost a third of the season, or would you kind of stick with it? Uh, I'd probably bump them up a little bit, and that's a credit to the Chiefs for, to me, winning a couple games that they probably shouldn't have against the Chargers and Raiders. You know, those are coin flip-type games that they were able to come out on top, but also, I think, in general, the AFC West is not as good as we all thought. So when that makes up six of your games and some of the most difficult games coming up, uh, you know, if, I, if I'm starting to think, okay, the Broncos probably aren't going to beat the Chiefs this year, then you probably are going to tick up your predictions for the Chiefs just a little bit. But maybe not completely out of the woods yet with the Chiefs. I mean, their schedule still is their schedule, and games like Jacksonville look a little bit tougher. Obviously, you get the Bills this week at home. You're an underdog on the road next week against the 49ers. Could be another underdog. So this could look like four and three here really quickly if you know the Chiefs don't pull off one of these two games. But I think this is as good a start as you could hope for if you were a Chiefs fan, just because, like I said, the AFC West looks to be theirs to lose, and the Chiefs, you know, they've had three games that were sort of in that coin flip territory, and they won two of them including the two most important ones you would want uh, against both the Chargers and Raiders. So this is setting up pretty nicely for them. Uh, this game this weekend will go a long way toward determining if they can get that one seed in the five. But even if they don't, I, I still think that they are pretty much a shoe in to make the playoffs and probably a little bit better than I would have guessed record-wise uh, going into the season. In that Raiders game, Las Vegas had a pretty strong offensive game, which to that point, we'd, we'd kind of seen the Chiefs' defense look pretty good through the early portion of the season, and uh, really until that game. And obviously without Willie Gay, Trent McDuffie coming back this week, uh, how do you think this defense, 
I, I guess how good do you think they can be, and where is the line of what they need to be when you have Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. You know, I I think the fact that they can win games for the Chiefs is an upgrade from a season ago. I, I know there were a couple games kind of in that lull offensively that the defense sort of stepped up, you know, against the Packers was one, against the Giants was another, where they kind of kept the team in it and were able to win. But you've seen a couple of those games already for the defense this year when you talk about uh, the Chargers game, the, the Colts game obviously was another one that was won by the defense. And uh, so, I mean, those are all positive things. And not only that, it's a young defense. A bunch of rookies are out there playing, and they only, should only get better with more playing experience and more time. Um, I, the fact of the matter is the good news for the Chiefs is that their offense still looks like it's top one-ish in the NFL, even without Tyreek Hill, which could have been, you know, that's all you can hope for. If you're a Chiefs fan looking at this, you, you kind of hope that they'd be able to make up for it with these other pieces they have. And you saw this past game against the Raiders. The Raiders really wanted to take Travis Kelsey away. They played the Chiefs a lot of man coverage. And sure enough, guys like Marquez Valdez-Gentling and McCole Hardman were able to elevate their game, beat single coverage, and Patrick Williams was able to find them, and the Chiefs just found a way. They still found a way to win, found a way to be successful, and, and still are finding a way to be one of the most successful offenses in the NFL. So I, I think I'm encouraged by the defense. I think the fact that they've already won the Chiefs uh, one or two games this season is, is a very encouraging sign, but it's going to be inconsistent, and last week was inconsistent. It was not the best effort against the Raiders. Obviously, Josh Jacobs had success. Devontae Adams had success down the field, but uh, the thing is, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect when Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback. It doesn't have to be perfect if the Chiefs' offense is humming along the way it has here uh, the last couple weeks. So that's all really good things for the Chiefs, and it's probably offensively coming together quicker than I would have guessed early in the season. And then defensively, they've had their moments where you can say, hey, there's certain games where they can carry the offense when it's not working. So, again, all positive things for the Chiefs so far, and the fact that the record reflects that, the record is 4-1 and one instead of 3-2 and two or 2-3, two and three, all puts the Chiefs in a very enviable spot when it comes to the AFC West and also the divisional race as well. To your point with the rookies playing on the defense, Trent McDuffie, it sounds like he's going to be available for the Bills game. What should our expectations, what should our expectations be of him coming back from injury? You know, Before the injury, he was ascending to maybe being the cornerback one for this team. Do we need to change that since now as a rookie he's missed some time, and what do we need to expect from coming off of an injury? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question, and it's kind of the question we were talking today uh, with Steve Sagnola about, even as a coordinator, you know, even the secondary coach for the Chiefs, a uh, defensive backs coach, and um, I think they're sort of in wait-and-see mode too. Uh, he practiced yesterday but didn't do too much. Today was supposed to be kind of more of a, uh, of a physical practice where you kind of get to see a guy uh, air it out a little bit, but you know, I think the Chiefs drafted him thinking he would be sort of a high-four player. You know what I mean? Like his, his technique was good. He was very sound, a smart player coming out. Obviously, he was high on the draft board, high enough that they traded up to get him in the draft. So this is the sort of thing, you know, we didn't see too much from him in the preseason or week one because, frankly, teams weren't targeting him. And I think that's maybe one of the best compliments you can get as a defensive back is that, you know, defensive coordinators look or offensive coordinators look at you and say, how we'd rather go target somebody else. So I think at worst – for the Chiefs, you know, it seems like he's healthy. It seems like he's at least healthier or healthy enough to play. I think what the Chiefs just got to hope for is that they kind of get that high floor play that they were hoping for, that the guy's just not going to get beat deep, not going to mess up, not going to screw up play, is going to be in the right spot. And I think that's what they drafted. And as long as his hamstring, you know, is, is what they think it is and, and healed up as much as they hope after the IR stint, then I think that's probably what they're going to get from McDuffie. It's just sort of a high floor player, maybe not a bunch of flash plays, but – a guy that's just going to be in the right spot and help out your defense. And 
goodness knows they're going to need that against the Bills because uh, that's going to be, I would think, the best receiver combination that they're going to face all season. Talking with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Through the first five games of the season, even though, like you said, it maybe has been a little better than you would have expected, what would be your biggest worry right now for the Chiefs moving forward? Well, you know, offensively, I think it would be that we came into the season saying, hey, they've got the best offense on the NFL, or at least top two at worst, and uh, their tackles are getting beat a lot. Now, you always want to caveat these things because the AFC West is just loaded with pass rushers. And, I mean, it's no break this week. you got Von Miller coming in from the Bills. I mean, it feels like the Chiefs are facing elite pass rushers every single week of the season, except for that first week against Arizona when J.J. Watt was out. So, Phil, the fact of the matter is, you know, Mahomes, part of the reason he's playing well is that he has been able to settle himself. He's been able to make plays in the pocket, but he's been able to evade pressure when he's gotten it a lot from the outside and been able to, like the Marquez Valdez scaling play, uh, where he hit him over the middle last game in the red zone. You know, he's, he's, Patrick's moving immediately off of pressure from the right side, uh, from his right side, because Andrew Wiley gets beat. He kind of shuffles up in the pocket, moves forward, reverses his arm angle, throws it forward, and is able to find MBS. I mean, it's a play that very few quarterbacks can make, but the fact is that Patrick Mahomes right now is making those plays. I think the problem shows up when he gets hit early and when he doesn't trust his protection early, and we saw that against the Colts somewhere. He starts scrambling, he starts getting out of the pocket and feeling like he needs to make Superman plays every single time, and I thought that was really impressive this past week where they got down 17 nothing. He was getting pressure from the outside, but he sort of calmed himself down. And he also, as you've read from some articles this week, he challenged his offensive linemen to say, hey, if you take care of your job, you know, the Chiefs are going to win this game, that sort of thing. And so finally, uh, over time, you know, the Chiefs added some chips from their tight ends and their running backs. But the, the offensive line did play better, especially in the second half, to give Patrick Mahomes some time to, uh, to throw the ball down the field. So I would say that's the biggest issue offensively is just, uh, the tackle play with Orlando Brown, who has a knee injury he's playing through, and then Andrew Wiley, who at times just looks overmatched. Those guys are getting beat in the pass game way more than I would have anticipated. Uh, defensively, I just I think you're still looking at a team where that's kind of defining finding its identity. And you know there was a lot made of the run defense coming into last week. The, the Bucks ran it six times for three yards, but a lot of that was just game script. You saw that the Raiders kind of have a little bit of a formula. They they put a little extra alignment out there. They ran it down the Chiefs' throat. They were aggressive. And then uh, forced the Chiefs to kind of come out of what they were doing zone-wise. And uh, this is still an inexperienced secondary. This is still a secondary that's likely going to get beat down the field every once in a while and has guys on the back end that are not NFL-savvy vets yet. So it's a wait-and-see with the defense. I don't think the defense – I don't think you need them to be top five or top ten in the NFL to be where the team needs to be. But offensively, I'd say the biggest concern right now is just uh, the tackles. And obviously, the running backs right now, you're kind of just circling through those and trying to figure out what they can get. So um, the lack of running game week to week and the lack of the pass blocking from the tackle position, you could see where this thing could get derailed in a hurry if Patrick Mahomes isn't playing at an A-plus level. But luckily for the Chiefs, the last couple weeks, he's just been playing at an A-plus level. Right now, there's some receivers that might be on the trading block. He's still got OBJ floating around out there. Do you think the Chiefs need to add any help at wide receiver? Or do you think that with this group, they'll be able to produce at a high level? You know, I, I can't speak for Brett Veach, but I, I just think they've been down the throat and it just hasn't worked. You know, I mean, I think about Josh Gordon, kind of like the perfect example, right? They brought him in here. He was going to be the savior. He was late with the playbook. He didn't know what he was doing. The expectations were high. Okay, then you get to this offseason. Okay, now he knows what he's doing. Now he has some chemistry with Patrick Mahomes. And 
and he gets cut. It just it just doesn't work out. It's it's especially hard, I think, in any read offense. I mean, you see a guy like Guy Morris. Guy Moore got drafted by the Chiefs. He went to rookie minicamp. He went to OTAs. He's been through the whole thing, and you see him starting to develop more and more and getting more and more snaps. I wrote about that today with the offense and, and becoming more and more comfortable. I think there's a high upside for him. I think that's a higher upside than what you get from a potential OBJ or somebody else that you come in and sign. And uh, honestly, we've seen this from Chiefs uh, doing this with running backs as well. I mean, you know, they brought in who was it? Le'Veon Bell. They brought, I mean, a lot yeah. of these other guys, these, these kind of, uh, these veterans. Well, Sean McCoy. They've kind of, well, Sean McCoy, they brought in to be saviors. And it just, everybody thinks it's a great signing at the time. And it just doesn't work out. Like those guys just don't really get with the program. And I think right now, again, uh, to me, Sky Moore is the addition that this team is going to make. And he's getting more and more snaps every week. He had some crushing blocks last week. He was in and got two passes on the last possession a week ago. Because uh, I talked to him in the locker room. He just said, hey, some of this is just experience, getting experience in the system. It's going to come with time. I have faith in the coaches. They have a plan for me. I'm going to follow that plan. And I just think I'd be shocked, guys, that by week 16, 17, 18, if Sky Moore is not one of the leading receivers on the Chiefs. I mean, he's just getting there. You know, he's just – He's starting to play without thinking. He's starting to let his physical tools show. And right now, his physical tools look really impressive. So I think that's the addition you have. It's the addition from a guy on the roster. And then also the continuity that now Patrick Mahomes is getting from guys like MBS and Juju, who are running way different routes than they ran with their previous teams. They're getting to run the whole route tree rather than just kind of some of the things that the Steelers and the Packers wanted those guys to do. So I think that'll get better over time. And I think that's sort of the addition that you're looking for if you're the Chiefs instead of going outside the organization. Chiefs take on the Bills on Sunday. What sticks out to you about that matchup that could favor the Chiefs and that could be difficult for the Chiefs against the Bills? Yeah, I mean, if we're just going from the 5,000-foot view, I think the Bills are the best team in the NFL. I think the Chiefs are the second-best team in the NFL. But if you were going to make tiers, I would put the Bills on their own tier. And I think that's kind of reflected in the line, right? I mean, the Chiefs are at home and yet still a two-and-a-half or a three-point underdog at the Bills have dominated their opponents this year. They've shown that they can blow the doors off teams if, if they're not coming in, and, and that's part of what a good team is, even if you're playing a bad team. If you beat a bad team by 30 or 40 points, that indicates something about your team quality, and nobody else in the NFL is doing what the Bills do. Um, obviously, the Chiefs have had problems in the past with the quarterback run game. Lamar Jackson we saw last season. Josh Allen has run for lots of yards against them. Always fascinated to watch that matchup because I think part of the reason that the Chiefs in the offseason signed and targeted a guy like Justin Reed is to look at matchups like this when you go against a Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen where you can stay in your nickel package, but you can have a safety come downhill and be physical with the run game and the quarterback run game. So that'll be kind of a cat and mouse thing. But listen, we know the, the Bills receivers. I asked Steve Spagnuolo today, the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, like what kind of challenge is it to go against Stephon Diggs uh, and, and then Gabriel Davis, you know, guys like that. And, and he's like ultra mega, you know, whatever words you want to use. I mean, that is going to be very challenging for the back end of the Chiefs, especially trying to integrate Trent McDuffie back in the rotation. On the other end, you know, the Bills are most beat up in the secondary. So um, the Chiefs have to hope that the steps that the receivers like McCole Hardman, Marquez Valdez-Scantling took, and then I'm even talking about small steps from Sky Moore, that those continue to progress and that they can potentially pick on the Bills' secondary in this game. So that's kind of what I'm looking at from that. And obviously, just mentioned the tackles. What's Ron Burr going to do? How much do the Chiefs have to chip? How much do they have to help out their tackles? Will Patrick Mahomes feel comfortable back there? Uh, all those are questions coming into this game. But I really think the receivers from both teams and then the secondaries of both teams, that's kind of the matchup where this thing will be won and who is maybe hurting most on that back end and who's stronger on the outside. I think that that will be something that definitely helps determine this game. 
All right, I do have a kiss, Mary kill for you. I, I know you've been missing this segment. I hope so. Um, <laughs> KU football winning eight games, the Chiefs beating the Bills by two or more scores, and Patrick Mahomes winning MVP. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll kiss Mahomes winning MVP because it's possible, and he's on an uptick. And if he plays well against the Bills, he's probably the favorite. So that can be a, a nice fleeting moment in time, potentially. Uh, let's see. What was it? Was the uh, KU winning eight or more? And then what was the other one? The Chiefs winning by two touchdowns? By just two scores or more. So it could be 10 or nine, I guess. Yeah, I'll kill, I'll, I'll, I'll kill that one. I don't, I don't see the Chiefs winning this game by a lot. If they win by any amount, I think it'll be not very much. I guess that means I'm marrying KU winning yeah. eight football games. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not married, married to it. Maybe there needs to be another category, but uh, but I mean, I guess compared to the other options and seeing how KU has played, I, I think they're better than their advanced numbers show right now. And uh, the schedule is tough the rest of the way, but eight at least is a possibility. Especially, hey, we got to consider a bowl game too, right? They could get to seven and five and then go in a bowl game. So uh, that's probably more likely than those other two. There we go. Well, Jesse, appreciate the time as always, man. You can uh, catch out all his work at the Kansas City Star and at KansasCity.com. Appreciate it and have a good one. All right, thanks, guys. All right, that's Jesse Newell, Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. Lindsey Cool, the KU women's golf head coach, is going to join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. That next. 5 o'clock hour, we're joined now by a special guest, Lindsey Cool, the KU women's golf head coach, with us now here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And you guys are hosting the 2022 Marilyn Smith Sunflower Invitational coming to the Lawrence Country Club on Monday, October 17th, Tuesday, October 18th. How excited are you to to be on the hosting end of, of tournament here, uh, a tournament here in, in your second year uh, at the helm for KU? Yes. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited to lead this program and to host Monday, Tuesday. It's been eight and a half years since KU has hosted in Lawrence back in 2013 for the Big 12 championship at Lawrence Country Club. So it just means so much to these ladies. And and really that's why we do it, is for them to play in front of their friends and family and professors and the support staff at KU. You know, we're really excited to to showcase Lawrence and, and our women, really. Um, it's an incredible team. All 11 of them will play this Monday, Tuesday. So just really excited about that opportunity and hoping for some good weather. Yeah, that's always the key at this time of year, right? Well, um, I, I think this is the fourth event, right, for you guys on the season. And obviously golf is unique, and, and you brought it up there with the weather in that it is an all-year sport, being that they split it up in, in kind of the fall and spring and whatnot. How much different are things at the beginning of the year to the second half? Like from a coaching perspective, from a competitive perspective, do you approach things differently as as the first half of the year maybe is more experimental and the second half of the year is more getting ready for kind of the postseason and Big 12 championships and things like that coming up? Or how do you kind of deal with the, the big difference in time that you don't see in a lot of sports with it being like really year round? Yeah, that's a great question. You're absolutely right. I think the fall is we give every player on a, a chance to make the lineup, and we go strictly off the score. So all 11 players have the same opportunity to make each event. And, you know, we play five tournaments this fall, which is one more than we have in the past. 
Um, it's a lot, as a, from a coaching perspective, it's a lot of just learning, learning about how to coach our players, what to say, what to work on, a lot of observing and really seeing, you know, what they need. And then when we come back in January for our spring season and postseason, you know, we, we have a better idea of uh, we've seen a lot of scores. We've seen them play a lot. Um, of how to coach them and what to say and what to work on. So we do a lot of, of training and practice and technical work in the winter season in January. And then, you know, hopefully we have an idea of who our top five will be come March and April to get ready for the Big 12 championship and hopefully the NCAA tournament this year as well. Well, what you mentioned there with working on some of the technical stuff, obviously in, in golf as a coach, it's you know, not like you're calling up a play or devising a scheme or a defense. So is that is that the biggest thing that you can do as a golf head coach? Is it working on the technical stuff and swing work? Like what what are some of the biggest things, the, the I guess, most emphasized things that, that a golf coach needs to do well at this level? Yeah. Well, we, I have a great new associate head coach in Stephen Bidney. He's been a head year or a head coach for nine years at the University of Hawaii and University of Northern Colorado. So he comes in with a lot of experience. He's in his first year with me this year. Um, he works a lot with the girls on the technical. So hitting different types of shots, a lot of wedge distance control. Um, I work a lot with the players on putting and the putting technique and stroke that we're, we're trying to get them, you know, that just rolls better and has better distance control. It's all about speed with putting. Um, so we put them through a lot of drills, but Coach Bidney's really our technical guy when it comes to, to the swing. And then I also like to work a lot on mental skills and really trying to help my players improve with course management, with body language, self-talk, pre-shot routines. I think that's really where you see it in college golf. Um, average teams and good teams compared to the great teams and the top 25 programs is the way they manage their game course management, how they play each hole, but it's their mindset. It's a lot of what they can control, uh, focusing on the process and, you know, body language is, is all great. And I think that's really where we're trying to take this team is to perfect those, those things that we can control and to get better at our putting and our short game and our, our scoring clubs with our wedges um, to make a few more birdies and to shoot a few more lower rounds. Um, so really that's our emphasis in the spring and for this season. One of my favorite things when we have guests on here who, who deal with the golf world, it's not just that you know, you're the head coach of, of KU and, and we have a great listenership and, and fan base with KU, but also we have a lot of people listening to the show who just like playing golf. So uh, for I don't know, maybe somebody who is more of a beginner, more of a novice, or, or even is, you know, somebody who is more experienced, but they're looking to tighten the screws a little bit on their golf game. What advice do you give just regular golfers out there? You know, I think I'm, I'm really big on the mental skills and, and trying to find, I talk to my players a lot about this, finding at least two senses that you can think about that's not technical when you're playing. So the three senses are tempo, um, which is audio, visual, and then kinesthetic, which is feel. So if you can focus on, you know, the visual, where are you trying to hit the shot? You know, I tell my players a lot, where are you going and what are you doing? So where are you going? Where, where do you want the ball to end up and how do you visualize it getting there? You have to give your brain some direction um, so that your body knows <laughs> the type of shot to hit. So where are you going and then what are you doing? I think you can really think about the tempo of your swing, pausing at the top, making a good shoulder turn, 
Um, you can think about feel. What are your What do you feel in your body and your hands when you hit a good shot? And for beginners, I think if they focus more on on those three senses and it, you try and use at least two of those three senses for every golf shot you hit, I think you'll have some success. We're talking with Lindsay Cool, the KU women's golf head coach, and beyond the the event you guys are hosting on Monday and Tuesday. This Saturday, you all are having a nine and dine. Take me through that event. What's going to happen, and, and how people can be a part of it? Yes, yeah, so we are. We still have a few more spots open. It's going to be at four thirty p.m. at Lawrence Country Club, playing the front nine with one of our KU players and a fivesome, and do um, some sort of scramble for that for that nine. And then you get to come and have a dinner buffet with the rest of the KU women's golfers and coaches and enjoy a great evening. But it's $150 for the nine holes with range balls, um, cart, a KU gift, and to spend time with a KU player. And you can contact our associate head coach, Stephen Bidney, at bidney at ku.edu. That's B-I-D-N-E at ku.edu if you would like to sign up. And like I said, we still have a few spots open, so looking to get a full field there. That sounds like a great deal. Would highly recommend that. You can go after the KU football game. Hopefully, good success there and then can make it out to the course. Uh, I'm curious from from your standpoint, obviously, you know, as a a head coach, I would imagine you didn't get in the sport because you don't like to golf yourself, right? So uh, what's the favorite favorite course that that you've ever gotten to play on? Yes. Well, I I have to say Augusta National. I was able to play when I was the assistant coach at the University of Georgia about 10 years ago, um, we got to play with the team and it was the coolest experience, uh, most memorable course I've ever been on and played. I think I took a picture back then. We, we didn't have cell phones that were allowed on the golf course, especially out there, but I took a picture with my actual camera, every direction for every single shot. So I had 82 shots and probably 300 photos that day <laughs> um but yeah making a birdie out there on number three and chipping in and hitting a great iron shot off the tee on 16 and and being able to go into clubhouse and shop and have lunch in one of those rooms i mean it was just a full day of memorable experiences with a great team so augusta national for sure i know she said you shot an 82 i would uh, gladly take that on any course <laughs> let alone uh over where the masters is played uh, prior to, to being at KU, you were at Denver University. I'm, I'm going to be sad if you don't know this place, uh, but I'm going to make you choose. Silas and Maddie's here in Lawrence or Little Man Ice Cream in downtown Denver? Oh, that is a good, that is a good question. Um, I have to go Silas and Maddie's, of course. I have my favorite flavor, coffee with the chocolate chunks. The waffle cone and the little whopper that they put at the bottom of that cone is really what puts it over the edge. So mm-hmm. definitely here in Lawrence. <laughs> yep. Got to love the, the little man ice cream as well. Though. Um, I, I'm curious from, from just a golf perspective, going from Denver to now being here, was that an adjustment at all with, with just the ball not flying as far and, and the altitude or because you, you play enough on the road? Is, is that just something that you had to kind of talk about with your team? Yeah, you know, um, we travel so much that it's very rare that we're playing at elevation like in Denver at over a mile high. Um, so we actually have some great resources and we travel with a, a launch monitor that gets us the distance of where we're at and what elevation we're at. So 
you know, we're, we prepare a lot before each tournament, so I think we adjust well there. But I think the one thing that I've loved about Lawrence is we don't get that much snow. I know I've only been here one winter, but I'm really surprised at how how little snow we do get. Um, I think it's on average like 13 inches a year, which is something I, I sell to a lot of recruits. Um, <laughs> it's, it's great weather here. We have a great facility and just great support. There's no place better than the University of Kansas and the athletic department and the energy and excitement around our new leader with Travis Goff and all of the head coaches has just been an incredible experience for me and my family. And we are absolutely loving KU and all the support that we have for our women's program here. Well, it's funny you say that every coach I've had on here, it's kind of echoed the same things. You can really tell kind of the the tight-knit community that's had between the coaches. Uh, I'll leave you with this, whether it's you know going out to the 9 and Dine Saturday or going out to the tournament on Monday, Tuesday, or just following along with what you guys are going to have going on over the course of this season. Who are some players we should be on the lookout for and, and names that we should get accustomed to? Yes, we have three players um, that are all ranked really close to each other right now. We have a transfer from Tennessee Chattanooga, Esme Hamilton, who just finished – Uh, two top 15s in big events at New Mexico and then this past weekend at Arkansas. She's from England, fifth-year senior for us. Um, She's one to watch. Johanna Ebner from Austria, who's a sophomore in her her second semester here at KU, had a great tournament at Texas A&M, finishing in the top 10 and shooting even par in a 67 in the first round. And then Jordan Rothman from South Africa has been very steady and consistent for us. Um, one that we can rely on. She's a sophomore as well. Um, but those those three are, are key players for us so far this fall. But we have a lot of depth, and that's one thing that we really try to improve this year. We have 11 players that could make the lineup at any tournament. And I'm just really excited to see how we develop this year because of that depth and that competitiveness that we have on the team. Well, Lindsay, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day and hope that everything works out well with the 9 and 9 and the, and the tournament upcoming. Thank you again. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. That was Lindsey Cool, the head coach of the KU women's golf team. Again, you can go to the Nine and Dine on Saturday. It's a good deal. You get nine holes. You get a bucket of balls. You get a dinner and everything as part of that. And then the tournament on uh, Monday and Tuesday here in town. Pretty close to our stations here over at uh, Lawrence Country Club. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we've got some player audio to share with you. From Jason Bean, the KU quarterback, Kenny Logan at the back end as the safety on the KU defense. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We'll be back after this timeout on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it.